Research is seeing what everybody else has seen and thinking what nobody else has thought. Albert St. Georgi. Welcome to the Contextual Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Matthew Kutz, author of Contextual Intelligence, How Thinking in 3D Can Help Resolve Complexity, Uncertainty, and Ambiguity. And this is our fifth episode, and we're talking about Chapter 4. Chapter 4 is titled The Contextual Intelligence Behaviors. This is one of my favorite chapters in the book because it's the first which lays out specific details of what the framework of contextual intelligence entails. The foundational piece, now there's a lot of pieces to the contextual intelligence framework, ways of thinking. We talked about the R4 model already or the R4 process, 3D thinking, hindsight, insight, foresight. We we will talk about the meta skills of complexity, synchronicity, and tacit awareness and several different factors uh, that contribute to the overall model. At the foundation of the model and the beginning of the model is the 12 behaviors. And when I first began to explore the framework of contextual intelligence and identified some of the aspects to it, again, I'm not the first person to use the term or phrase contextual intelligence. There's plenty of research and literature out there on it before me. But what's interesting is as you explore it and look at it, it's kind of a theoretical construct or concept. And up until we can begin to identify what the behaviors are that constitute contextual intelligence, we really can't take a lot of action steps toward it. So what's exciting about this chapter is how each of the behaviors are described and identified. So I want to do that for this. But before we do that, I do think it is appropriate to talk about some of the research and literature, professional writing uh, and scholarship on contextual intelligence. And we can't go too far in exploring this without coming across the name of Robert Sternberg. And in the 80s, he began to use the term practical intelligence. And then in some of his other writings, in referencing practical intelligence, he would use the phrase contextual intelligence as a synonym for practical intelligence and kind of became a sub-construct or a sub-theme within his theory of triarchic intelligence, which he describes three different types of intelligences. One of those was practical intelligence, or again, in some places, he referred to that uh, as contextual intelligence. So he wrote about that. And then we've got other researchers at Harvard University who talk about contextual intelligence, especially from the context of international business. Now, one of the things I think is is important for us to understand is when you read about contextual intelligence and, and come across it in the literature and in the research, you've got to kind of look at what is being meant by contextual intelligence, because the phrase and term is used, but different authors mean different things by it. That's why my definition is so important and the 12 behaviors are so important because it kind of distinguishes it from the other uses of the term contextual intelligence. For example, other researchers out there who use it in a political framework Others use it in an international business framework, and basically what they mean are what are the skills that are needed to practice leadership or management in a particular geographical location, and how is the context of the geographical location 
dictating or mandating certain types of behaviors and how aware are you of the geographical location uh, and the cultural demands of specific behavior. So that's what most people mean when they talk about contextual intelligence. Torin Kana is another researcher. Anthony Mayo, Neaton Noria are other researchers. Patrick Terenzini talks about it in the scope of educational research. And, and there's a lot of uses on it. In fact, Leonard Sweet and Michael Beck wrote a book on contextual intelligence relative to Christian ministry and a spiritual side of things. And all of these are interesting and all of these deserve our attention when we talk about contextual intelligence because it all helps frame an overall understanding of what that is. None of those, however, talk about specific ways in which contextual intelligence can be actualized or can be utilized. And, and again, they, they offer a tremendous amount of theoretical support, a theoretical ideas on what it is, how it feels, how it looks, how it manifests, things like that. But none actually go as far as identifying specific behaviors or competencies of the contextually intelligent person. And that's what these 12 behaviors do. Now, the other thing that's neat about chapter four here is the idea that the 12 behaviors are organized according to three time orientations. And this is the first time uh, that we've talked about this. And we've mentioned the 12 behaviors in previous podcasts, but we haven't really discussed how they're organized. And what's interesting here, in order to get the full benefit from the 12 behaviors and to understand them the uh, in the most appropriate way, is to organize them according to different time orientations. Now, we didn't do this a priori, so to speak. We, we organize these 12 behaviors after we've done a series of factor analyses and different things. And we found that these 12 behaviors factored into three groups. And then it was after we identified, after they grouped into the categories, uh, the three categories that we begin to look at them and begin to need to apply a name or a label to these categories. So what we did is we looked and it seemed kind of obvious when we looked at the 12 behaviors and how they organize into three groups, four behaviors in each group of a time orientation. And so we called one group the hindsight group, which represents the past. Uh, one group of four is the insight group, which which is the present. And then the final group of four behaviors is the foresight group, which is akin to the future. So if you think of the time orientations, past, present, and future, that's really how we begin to frame these 12 behaviors. And Seeing these 12 behaviors through the lens of hindsight, insight, and foresight, it helps us now take a holistic view of the temporal reality in which we live. And one of the things that a lot of leadership models and theories and ideas haven't done a good job of over the years is calculating into or figuring into the decision-making capacity or role of a leader, the opportunity assessment, the the risk assessment, the, the decisions that need to be made, et cetera, through the lens of past, present, and future. And how important it is that in order for us to practice contextual intelligence to the level at which it needs to be practiced in the space that we're practicing it. And by that, I mean the VUCA space, that turbulent, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous space that we're living in. In order for leadership to work in that VUCA space, in this turbulent world, in this uncertain reality, we have to begin to understand 
how to integrate together the past, the present, and the future. So we have to rely on data from the past and, and our memories and information and hindsight, but that has to be reimagined and reimaged to be correct. We all know there's tons of research out there on how inaccurate our memories are and how biased our memories are and, and the, the effect of hindsight bias and all the things that we have when we misremember the past, right? So we need to have something in place that helps us accurately assess what really happened in the past. And that help and this model helps us do that. So that's one thing. Then we also have to pay attention to the present and the factors that are salient right now in the real moment and not ignore those like we tend to want to do because of an ideal past or an ideal future. So we have to also learn to filter the past through the present. We don't filter the present through the past. We filter the past through the present. Once we do that accurately, we're now prepared to use foresight. Foresight is our ability to anticipate the future correctly. We need to understand that 3D thinking phrase of the contextual intelligence reality and to help us do that. So each one of those behaviors, those time orientation behaviors, hindsight, insight, and foresight is an individual chapter coming up in the book where we describe and unpack each dimension separately. But before we do that, it's important to understand what are the behaviors that contribute to each of these 3D thinking dimension. So again, at the center of the model are these 12 behaviors. So let's go over those again. So the four hindsight behaviors is the constructive use of influence, number two, critical thinking, number three, influencing, and number four, consensus building. Now we'll unpack each of those in a moment. Let's jump on to the insight behaviors. So we have also then four different insight behaviors. The insight behaviors are or are listed as cognitive diversity, multicultural leader, communitarian, and mission-minded. And then we have the four foresight behaviors. And the four foresight behaviors are listed as being an intentional leader, diagnosing context, change agent or change agency, and being future-minded. So all 12 of the behaviors, again, constructive use of influence, critical thinking, influencer, consensus builder. Those are the hindsight behaviors. Then we have cognitive diversity, multicultural leader, communitarian, mission-minded. Those are the insight behaviors. Then we have intentional leadership, diagnosis, context, change agent, and future-minded. And those are the foresight behaviors. So let's go back to the constructive use of influence here, which is the first of the hindsight behaviors, and just talk about that for briefly. The constructive use of influence is the effective use of different types of power in developing a desired image. So you might note right off the bat that you've got two influence behaviors here in hindsight because we've got constructive use of influence and then later on influencer is another behavior. The first most obvious question, well, how are those two things different? Well, look at that definition or, or listen to that definition that I just gave you again. It's again, it's using influence to develop power for creating the image that you want to portray. Now, the chapter talks about the different types of power, legitimate power, expert power, referent power, et cetera. There are several more listed there, the different types of power. And basically, the person who knows how to constructively use influence knows how to 
use the appropriate type of power when the context or situation demands on it. In other words, there's a time to use expert power and a different time to use reward power versus a different time to use informational power. And the person who's contextually intelligent knows which type of power to use to maintain the image or create the image or persona they are trying to portray. The second behavior then in the hindsight category is critical thinking. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time about critical on critical thinking, but it's very, very closely connected to metacognition. So someone who has a good degree of hindsight has a good capacity for metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about our thinking. I like to say it this way. It's thinking about our thinking while we're thinking in order to change our thinking. And that's, you know, Richard Paul actually said it that way. So that's not something that I've said. But I do think that's really important because it kind of brings to to bear the, the importance of metacognition as it's related to critical thinking. And someone who is really good at understanding how hindsight works understands that what they need to do is be critically reflective of their own thinking. So that's where metacognition comes in. The third piece here in the hindsight category is influencer. So remember, the first behavior was constructive use of influence. The third behavior is influencer. So how is influencer different? Well, here's how we define influencer within the CI framework. An influencer uses interpersonal skills to non-coercively affect the actions and decisions from others. It's markedly different from the constructive use of influence mentioned previously, being an influencer in this sense rejects coercion altogether and does not use reward legitimate or the other forms of power that we mentioned previously. And it doesn't, and it isn't concerned with developing the, the persona or image of the individual. This application of influencer is actually trying to help the other parties involved demonstrate mastery and over what they're trying to do. So you are an influencer by trying to help them in a non-coercive way affect the actions and attitudes of other people. So again, there's questions here and different things for each one of these on how to develop those. The fourth and final hindsight behavior is consensus builder. A consensus builder uh, can conceive of other people, or I'm sorry, can convince other people to see the common good or a different point of view. Being able to create collaborative win-win situation is what the consensus builder is all about. So the consensus builder starts with accurately identifying a problem. And then when there's a lack of consensus, it is almost always the result of a different understanding of the problem. So consensus builders tend to be good at identifying the problem and then articulating the problem so that everyone else can understand it and gets on board with what it is we're trying to fix or solve. That's the root of what a consensus builder does. So they get everybody on the same page. There's not always necessarily about unity or teamwork at this point face in the process. It's about getting everybody on the same page as to what it is we're actually facing. Then we'll move from there and, and we'll go to the insight behaviors. And there's four, the four insight behaviors, again, just to remind you are cognitive diversity, multicultural leader, communitarian, and mission-mindedness. So cognitive diversity is also called embracing diverse ideas. What's interesting about this is the person who is trying to develop insight needs to understand how other people are thinking 
and how other people's thinking actually is used by the individual. One of the things that we talk a lot about diversity and and the surface level diversity that, you know, the, the physical differences that we can see, ethnicity, skin color, gender, things like that, and how those contribute to a person's individuality, right? And that's important. But even before we can have conversations about that, there's another space, and that's how, how people are cognitively diverse. And in a previous podcast, I used the example of siblings, you know, same rules, same family, same household, same parents, you know, so much of what they are, are the same, but yet the things that they remember and how they pro- solve problems are completely different. We need to recognize that there is an inherent difference in people's thinking processes and thought processes that transcends their skin color, their gender, their sex, you know, their ethnicity, their culture, etc. And it's just in the foundational processing of thinking, or, you know, and that's what we're willing to do. So somebody who is is has a high level of insight, they're t- paying attention to the real moment situation, understands that and, and they have a, a good grasp on the thinking process of the people they are interacting with. Then there's the multicultural leadership capacity. And this is, again, this is the, the multicultural leader influences the behaviors and attitudes of, of groups that have cultural or ethnic diversity. So the multicultural leadership, although multicultural is, is a limiting term, it kind of includes, it goes beyond cognitive diversity. And this is where we bring in kind of the differences that we can see, you know, like I said, the gender differences, sex differences, skin color, uh, uh, culture, things like that. In order to be contextually intelligent, you have to be aware to have insight in the moment. You have to be aware of all the different values that different people based on their different backgrounds bring to the equation and bring to the conversation. So that's another important piece. The third behavior within the insight category is being a communitarian. This is one of my favorite ones. And actually our research shows this is one of the ones that is practiced the least frequently. And that's, I think, because a lot of times we misunderstand how important it is or how important a factor, how we relate to the people around us affects who we are and who we become and affects the the moment, right? Again, insight is about correctly diagnosing the real moment in time, the actual present moment. And being a communitarian requires understanding social trends and issues and then the communitarian is one who is actively and intentionally engaged with their local civic and community goals and and objectives and this is goes well beyond donating to a charitable organization and doing your civic duty in the sense of volunteering or, or sending money overseas to, to for some activist cause and group that's important to do and i would never say not to do that but what is important is recognizing that that's not being a communitarian, how we define it and describe it here and what the research indicates as the the behavior that actually makes a difference in your life is is serving locally. So it's you can send the check overseas, you know, and you should, and I hope you do. But the other thing that you need to do is recognize that that's just that's not enough in and of itself. You also need to give back to your local community, and that's what a communitarian does. And by giving back to your local community, it actually helps foster insight. It helps you see 
what's really in front of you in the moment more clearly and more accurately. The fourth insight behavior is being mission-minded. Now, mission-mindedness in this case does not mean knowing your company's strategic plan and their core values and the vision statement. This means understanding that the things that you do, the behaviors that you deploy, the attitudes that you have, not only reflect on you, but reflect on everybody who you are associated with, including your employer and your family and everybody else. That's critical to understand. So someone who is operating in a mission mindset understands that when I do something great, it doesn't just make me look good. It makes the people I represent look good. When I do something horrible, it doesn't just make me look bad. It makes the people around me look bad, including my family, my friends, my organization, my employer, my church, my neighborhood, whatever it might be. Anybody and everybody who you're associated with is affected by your behavior behaviors and your actions. Now let's go to the foresight behaviors and the four foresight behaviors, again, to recap, are intentional leadership, diagnosis, context, change agents, and future-mindedness. So the first thing that the person with foresight does is they understand the intentional aspect and nature of leadership. So leadership must be intentional. Now the phrase I like to use in that context is an ontological leader. What an ontological leader is, is someone who knows their leader, understands their leader, and recognizes how their leadership behaviors and actions form their identity. So ontology is the, the essence of being, right? It's the study of being. It's it's the study of, of who I am. The ontological question is who am I, right? It's, it's, an, it's the origin question. And when you talk about being an intentional leader, someone who uses foresight correctly understands that their leadership is part of who they are. It's not just a job they have or a role they're filling. They take their leadership with them when they're not on the job or they bring their leadership with them to the job, even if they're not the CEO or the executive director or someone with a formal title, because leadership is who they are, not uh, something that they do per se. So that's really, really important. So someone who has foresight understands that aspect. And because it's part of their identity, they are always intentionally developing their leadership capacity. The second behavior then is diagnosis context. So the person who again practices foresight is when they show up in a situation, they're always thinking about what might be. So they bring that diagnosing nature with them to that. And they're always looking to see how what is happening will affect what they want to happen or what might happen. Not that they're forecasting or predicting, they're just students and observers of what's happening and in order to see how to place people in the future. And, and we talk a lot about how to diagnose context. In fact, we give an example of how physicians diagnose an injury using the HOPS model and how healthcare providers take a history, they observe the patient, they palpate. In other words, they get close and intimate, and then they uh, utilize special tests to confirm what they think is going on. So someone who does foresight practices that really well. The third behavior is a change agent. A change agent has the bravery to raise difficult and challenging questions that others may perceive as a, as a threat to the status quo. This is another one of my more favorite behaviors because so much of what the world is 
craving is status quo. And so much of what VUCA turbulence uncertainty is about is the absolute antithesis of the status quo. So one of the things that someone with foresight has to be able to do well is challenge the status quo without offending people. So it's 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 a disruptor, being a disruptor without being annoying, right? So there's ideas we talk about in this chapter, in this section of this chapter, on what a change agent does and how they develop the tact and the grace to raise these difficult or challenging questions so that other people will consider them. Remember, we said in a previous podcast, one of the things that leaders have to do in a VUCA world that's different than when it's not is that's ask better questions. It used to be that a leader's main job was to solve problems. Now a leader's main job is to ask better questions. And it's in this change agent category that the question asking capacity becomes critically important. And then the final behavior in the foresight category is being future-minded. And someone who is future-minded sees beyond the contradiction and the obstacles that are in front of them to a future that others cannot see. And I can't reiterate that enough because what's so critical here is all of us see a future. All of us anticipate something better. And, and the difference I'd like to draw is between comparing foresight to fantasy. Most people deal with fantasy. They see a future out there and they have a, an ideal picture. I want to be rich. I want to finish my doctoral degree. I want to write a book. I want to, and they see this ideal future. I want to have a happy marriage, et cetera, whatever it might be. But then they say, but I can't because, and they're giving excuses for why they, why they're failing to make the transformation that they need to make because they only see the obstacle that's in front of them. I can't because I don't have enough money. I can't because I don't have enough time. I can't because I'm unlovable. I can't because my spouse is a jerk. Whatever it might be, they say whatever that dream is or that fantasy is, they say I can't because. Well, contrast that to foresight, the person with foresight sees where they want to be also. They also recognize the obstacle. They see the obstacle in front of them. But what the person with foresight does is they see past the obstacle, around the obstacle, through the obstacle, and go the, the step that the fantasizers aren't willing to do. And they articulate, and I mean that literally, they actually say it and articulate it clearly, how they're going to overcome the obstacle that's in front of them. And you could talk about what well, they set atomic habits, they they set other habits, micro goals, whatever. There's all kinds of, of great information out there on how to get past the obstacles that you see and articulate that ideal future, regardless of whichever path you take with that. The person who practices contextual intelligence and then the person who can leverage foresight has the ability to be that future-minded person and they see beyond the contradiction and beyond the obstacle that's right in front of them right now. And that's critically important. So when you think about each of those 12 behaviors and then how they're organized into the three orientations of time, we begin to see the beginnings of a very useful framework on how to begin to practice contextual intelligence and then what contextual intelligence actually looks like, whether you want to take it from the perspective of the 12 behaviors or the 3D thinking framework, hindsight, insight, and foresight, either place is a good place to start. So that's chapter four in a nutshell. And if you're interested in getting a copy of the book, stay tuned to the end. We'll talk about where you can get it 
The best place is my website, matthewcoots.com. They're in the show notes. Follow me on social media, and I would love to chat with you about this, and I'd love to get this book in your hands. So I look forward to hearing from you. And if you have any questions, shoot me a note and message me through the uh, through my website or through my social media, and I'll be happy to get to you and get this book in your hands. Thanks a lot.